Hello and welcome to She's Creative with me, Claire Hodgson. Each episode, I chat to a different woman or non-binary person who works in the media or publishing industries, discovering how they turned creativity into a career. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love it if you could rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It really helps boost us in the charts. If you would like to support the podcast, you can buy me a coffee on coffee.com slash she's creative pod. That's ko fi.com slash she's creative pod. My guest on this episode is journalist Diora Shadjanova. Diora is the first person editor at Galdem magazine and host of the podcast Broccoli Book Club. Her writing has been featured in the likes of Vice, Refinery29 and The Independent, and she was previously the national editor of The Tab. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Diora. No worries. I'm excited to be here. Just to start things off, where did you grow up and what did your parents do for a living? Um, So I was born in Uzbekistan and I was born in a city called um, Margilan, which is in the region of Fergana. And um, when I was maybe three, we'd moved to Tashkent, which is the capital of Uzbekistan. And I lived there up until the age of nine. And then because of my mum's job, uh, which I'll get onto <laughs> in a second, um, because of my mum's job, we moved to Kyrgyzstan, which is a neighbouring country for a year. And then finally, I ended up moving to London at the age of 10. So um, my mum, she, well, she started working in this bank um, called EBRD, which is the European Bank of Reconstruction and Development as a secretary. And then she kind of like moved her way up um, to becoming a banker. And my dad, well, um, my parents separated when I was three. I was never really sure of what he did. Um, we, we're not that close anymore, unfortunately, but um, yeah, we haven't been really keeping in touch. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, I guess, my parents' story. But uh, my mom remarried when, when she, she divorced my dad and, um, and my stepfather, he, um, he, he's also a banker. Yeah, I just suddenly forgot what he did. Yeah, my, um, and he also used to teach maths at university level. So he's very, very smart. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my little story. <laughs> Oh, and when did you know that you wanted to do journalism? Uh, honestly, I, I didn't at all know that I wanted to do journalism. And it only crossed my mind when I started doing student journalism at uni. And it was only because I had seen an advert to write for this site called The Tab. And they were like, we don't need any experience. So I was like wait, I'm someone with no experience. This could be fun. <laughs> and literally just got in touch and I started writing the most, just like the most basic kind of articles about campus life and uni life at the uni I went to. And that was it really. Um, and then from then I got a bit more confident and after doing a few features, like funny features, I I started doing some more like news. I wouldn't even call it news reporting. It was more like news rewriting um, of like local news. And then 
yeah like steadily my confidence grew and then suddenly in the last year of uni I was studying history of art I thought I don't really want to go into history of art because it didn't feel the right kind of vibe for me I just I found it too pretentious I found the whole art world just very out of reach for me so I thought maybe I should um, think about journalism like this seems to be going well and this is a hobby that I really like so I actually ended up spending so much of my time when I was at uni doing student journalism that I nearly flunked my degree um, but yeah I think I'm glad that I made that choice because clearly it's led me to do something I really enjoy um, but yeah that's kind of when I first started thinking about journalism and then I'd applied for a master's at City um, to do digital journalism and I was set to go I got accepted and last minute um, I got a job offer instead well as well and so I kind of had to choose between the two and I made the choice not to do a master's in journalism because I thought you know what, I can maybe learn on the job and whatever I don't end up learning on the job, I can always go back and do a master's. Mm -hmm. um, but you can't, you know, the job opportunity might not come up again sort of thing. So that's when I actually went into journalism. But yeah, it was a very, very unexpected thing. Like I know some people grow up and they, they know they want to be a writer or, you know, maybe they've had like influence from their parents or family or, you know, they just, some people just love books and some people love writing and that was never me that it just wasn't I, I found it hard reading books I found them like a lot of the time really inaccessible and um I remember I used to have this like 30 page rule so um if I couldn't get past page 30 of any book I just leave it because mm -hmm. there's no point if I don't understand it. And so many times I just didn't understand the books I was reading, especially because when I moved to the UK at the age of 10, I couldn't speak a word of English. And so I was trying to learn the language. Um, but, you know, it, 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 was, it was just really hard. It was really hard. And like, I actually learned English basically through watching TV with subtitles. Um, but I think the love for reading and writing came later on because I actually felt more comfortable with the English language later on in life. And also because I think I just wasn't emotionally mature enough to understand, you know, writing and, and I went, you know, when you read things at the age of 18, it's a very, very different experience when you read them again at the age of 25 and as you get older. So I feel like with this career, what excites me is that I hope that as I get older and as I get more experience, I'll just enjoy it even more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds like you you making that decision to take the job rather than to go and do the master's was definitely the right one. And, you know, a, a lot of people might have went the other way. Um, how have you found your career so far not having that traditional journalism degree? is not been a problem at all mm -hmm. I think when, when I was working at the tab and that's my first job out of you know uni um and my first job within journalism I there were some cases when I'd been writing a story or maybe reporting on like an investigative story and then that's when I'd feel kind of like I was slightly out of my depth so when it came to processes so you know calling up police and figuring out like how to get 
things from like courts I didn't understand any mm-hmm. of that um but thing is I'd never really wanted to do that kind of reporting anyway so it wasn't too much of an issue and when those things came up I just asked people who did have the knowledge um but also like I think the reason I chose to to work instead of learning uh was because I knew that the degree the journalism degree would be quite practical anyway and I also just thought well what's the point of studying digital journalism when it's literally changing every single day yeah. and I could just again like learn that on the on the job so yeah um I haven't really found like it, that it's held me back um <laughs> and if anything it's made me I think it's made me think in just very different ways to maybe people who do go through that um experience of doing a master's and learning the subject you know kind of properly and I say that in air quotes because for me I don't care about that all I care about is you know how to do storytelling well Mm -hmm. um and I just don't think you need a degree for that but I think of course that you know I I had the experience of being a student journalist and I had the experience of doing these things, which I think maybe other people wouldn't. Um, and that's why, you know, a degree might work for them. But I've never like looked back and thought, wow, I really regret that decision. Because mm-hmm. um, as I said, like I can do it tomorrow if if I wanted to, right? I mean, yeah. okay, that sounds really like <laughs> I can get in again, but I mean, I hope I'd get in last time. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, I hope that I would get in with like five more years of work experience. Yeah. <laughs> How did you, did you get that first job at the tab? As a was it a staff writer job that you got? It was actually an assistant editor role, which essentially mm-hmm. meant that I'd come in and help like other university teams okay. and help them kind of structure their own thing and like help them with pieces and things like that. So. I actually came in as a as an assistant editor but in that summer that I joined I'd started writing a lot about Love Island and lots about like reality TV mm-hmm. and I think they very quickly noticed that I just I could write copy really quickly so they asked me if I would um be a staff writer instead so then I became a staff writer so I, I was see, in that yeah. assistant editor role for like a month and then they just moved me because they were like we think you'd be better off focusing on writing rather than like helping other people mm-hmm. um and then yeah so that's how I got so I got the role because I guess of my connection with the tab and you know I was the editor at Warwick in my third year and so I think they every year kind of tried to hire a handful of kind of um the people who worked with for the tab like the students right. and um yeah so then when they asked me to apply it's just so funny because my confidence levels were so low. I always, always thought that I was really bad um, because I had, like, I had at the time anyway, like no self-esteem. And I think, again, because English isn't my first language, I'd always had that thing of like, oh, but someone else is doing it out like, better than me. Someone's writing better than me, blah, blah, blah. So I'd always just kind of convince myself that I wasn't good. And um, when they they asked me to apply for the role, I thought they were just being nice. (laughs) I thought they were just saying like, oh, you know, like here's a job and you should apply for it. And I was like, oh, thanks so much. That's really nice. But I'm already doing my master's. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and they were like okay and then you know a week later the deputy editor kind of messaged me being like hey like this would be really like it would be really great if you could apply for this and I was like oh thanks so much but honestly like I'm just doing this thing and I'd love to work for, for you guys like when I finish my degree mm-hmm. <laughs> and then literally a day before the deadline the editor actually just like got into my dms and was like please apply for this and I thought hmm maybe they're not just being nice maybe they think <laughs> I'm like okay um and I just remember like frantically writing my application and um yeah and like I got an interview and I got a job there so it's just it is amazing because if I was led by my fear um I probably would not have you know ended up having the same career trajectory that I did Mm -hmm. what advice would you give for students that are looking to write for the tab just now if they want to write for the tab or any student Um, kind of newspaper or publication I just think absolutely go for it there's no time there's no other time that you could have this sort of side hobby and develop a skill than when you're at uni because there is constantly so many stories happening around you you know whether it's someone being banned from the wi-fi because they downloaded um like I don't know chicken run I remember that's a story that was popular at the time when I when I was working there or you know or like whether there's an angry flatmate because you won't stop playing the Wii music intro over and over again like there are stories everywhere when you're at uni and the people who are at that uni really care about them so it's an amazing way to do some local reporting Mm -hmm. um so I think yeah if anyone's interested and have and they have zero experience they should totally go for it because that's when I kind of um frayed into these different uh things and you know I I had a bit of had a go on radio and I didn't have my own radio show or anything but a few of my other friends did and I'd come on as a guest and just you know chat absolute bullshit uh for an hour and then just leave feeling great so it's it really kind of set me up like just just having a bit of that experience just made me feel so much more comfortable when I actually ended up doing it as a job um and you know what even if you don't end up in journalism I think there's so many transferable skills you can learn by doing student journalism like you know Mm -hmm. working in a team and spotting stories um learning how to talk to people learning how to lay out information in a really accessible but interesting way like that's why I love doing what I do because it's ultimately all about just knowing how to communicate um, and you can take those skills into any job I think um, yeah yeah wow. absolutely it sounds like someone's paid me to like promo <laughs> student journalism <laughs> they haven't I promise um, when you were at the tab what was um, what was a typical week like hmm. um, <laughs> the reason I laugh is because I I, I left what you know I left the tab a year ago um and I left it feeling a little bit conflicted because I I just felt like and it's not just the tab it's look it's pretty much every single media company out there you know it's it's that that constant struggle between um producing an amount of content but also making sure it's of good quality Mm -hmm. we've seen kind of with BuzzFeed right um BuzzFeed had a great like a great few years and they were just doing all these ridiculous articles that were actually paying for like their investigative stuff 
But now I never see any BuzzFeed articles anymore, unless it's like the, the really good investigative stuff. So I think when I joined, um, we very quickly noticed that the articles I was writing about popular culture and Love Island and all these things, um, they were doing really well. And, you know, there was a pressure to hit a certain amount of kind of targets and goals within a month. So whether that be a million page views or writing a certain number of stories. So, you know, there was an expectation of writing one, two or three stories a day. Um, at the t when I first joined, it was like one or two. Um, and so, yeah, and I found that really hard, but you know what, I also learned a lot. So a typical day would be coming in, um, reading the news, writing down potential ideas, things we can commission to writers, things we could write ourselves, and then having a, a morning meeting, talking through those ideas, and then setting the agenda for, t for the day, and then essentially writing those pieces. And um, that was it, but that that was it every single day, you know, however many weeks in a year. And after a while, I actually just got exhausted because it's yeah. not sustainable, it's just not. And although I learned how to write really quickly and I learned how to produce a pretty accessible copy and it's really helped me develop my it really helped me develop my voice because um you know when you write so frequently on such a demand you just you just tune into your voice right it essentially you just write how you speak mm -hmm. and I think that was probably one of the best things I learned on that job how to write just like me and I don't need to complicate it I don't need to make it sound clever it was just using my voice using the jokes I'd make if I was talking to a friend and yeah, I think that that was like an unbelievably useful skill. And I also now know for life that I can turn around a copy in literally like an hour. Um, but it it just, I think when I left, the reason I left was because I just, I, I couldn't see how that could end well for me, right? Because I didn't want to be doing that all the time. I, I wanted to go beyond kind of reactive pieces. I wanted to do some pieces which were introspective and and took a little bit of time to compile and and had rounds of edits um so it's yeah like I'm talking about it as though like you know I, I had an amazing I had an amazing time there but I think you know when you first go into your first job and um you can be quite jaded and you can just be like I want to impress everyone here and I want to have an amazing time and I did I really did and I did try to impress everyone there and I think I did um but after a while what had happened was and that's not to do with the company but I think my entire self-worth just became reliant on my job and how well I did every day and when I'd have a bad day at work and if just I, things weren't flowing as well or people weren't getting back to me to you know for me to quote them in my in a, in a story or an article I would just have the worst moods ever. And, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I just remember not being able to switch off. I remember being like having weekends and just thinking about like, what's gonna happen with this story I'm working on right now. Like, you know, it, it was just, it wasn't really healthy. And again, that's not really the problem of the company, but I guess like digital media, you know, at its height when it was just content, 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 it was just such a toxic environment for anyone. Um, and yeah. Yeah, and I, I just really hope that 
journalists and even young journalists, they, they're not kind of pushed into that um, because I can't see that producing anything good. Like, I just don't really believe in the culture of rewriting something someone else has written just so that someone clicks on your website over someone else's website purely for ad like for ad revenue um and I just I don't think that's going to lead us anywhere good it's just essentially copying each other but like you know just changing a few words yeah I I can totally relate to what you were saying about um you know each day feeling the pressure to be a good day and that being dependent on your mental health and stuff um I feel like there is a really big problem with kind of burnout culture and journalism especially among young journalists I think that's a thing you know people come in and they they work really hard and they get a bit like burned out after a couple of years because the deadlines are just so tight and I mean that's no one's fault it's just the way the industry is but that's definitely something that I've seen in terms of people's mental health exactly and like I just I just can't get over the companies and the publications that are like mental health is so important and then you know the entire staff is just like struggling with mental health issues because mm-hmm. they feel like they can't keep up with the demands and, and as I said it's yeah. just not sustainable um, and I remember like really struggling to even take time off um, because I felt like that would be admitting that I am not a robot which by the way I've since discovered I'm not but I think I really thought I was just this invincible copy machine you know that I was just producing copy all the time and just chasing those numbers and chase you know I was I used to just watch Google Analytics and that was just like you know had a direct correlation to how I felt about myself and yeah. I remember with like 2000 people on my article I was like oh my god I broke the internet and like that would be the day made but then I'd write something actually more important not that many people would read it maybe the three people that read it okay, maybe not that low but you know maybe the 300 people that had read that piece actually it meant a lot to them but mm-hmm. how the hell would I know all I was chasing is you know concurrence on Google Analytics so I don't wait where was I going with this oh I was talking about mental health but yeah it's just it's just really frustrating because um, even now, a year on from leaving there and just being in that in a newsroom, I struggle asking for help when it comes to my own mental health. And just, um, you know, in my my current job, my editor's so, so lovely. And she's just been like, please, like, take as much time off as you need. Like, we really, really care about mental health. But I just find it so hard to be like, I need time off because I'm just so used to burning out like and if I'm not burning out I feel like I'm not working hard enough and it is just this horrible cycle which I hope at one point will end but um (laughs) it just seems to still happen to me and I guess especially with now the situation we have in terms of the pandemic and you know there's that feeling that the industry is really fragile and there aren't that many jobs to go around and people are kind of scrambling for for work and again it's that pressure that you don't really need um, pushing you to to just work really hard and excel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the pandemic's definitely put so much pressure on people and in journalism as well. You know, at the same time, the pandemic, there's been a lot of job losses and closures and stuff. Um, and a lot of people at the moment are, are freelance 
And you, so you went freelance in 2020. How, how did you find that? How did you get the ball rolling? Oh my God. Um, well, I clearly had reached rock bottom when I was working um, in, you know, when I was working as the national editor at the tab. Um, just because I also felt like, because it's a student newspaper and uh, student publication and, you know, kind of young, young adult, I guess. But I just also felt like I was getting too old. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was 23, but I just felt completely out of touch with like what was happening at unis. And I think that just tends to happen when you work at such a young company. So I, my mental health was terrible. Um, I'd gone through like also like a lot of external life changes. So, you know, I was healing from like a really difficult breakup. I'd, I'd gone to therapy and like all these things were just being kind of uprooted. And I su suddenly realized that I was using work as a coping mechanism. Well, once I realized that it was actually making me feel also really unwell, I just suddenly was like, oh my God, what if I quit? <laughs> <laughs> what if I didn't have a job anymore like and it just the idea of having free time was just like amazing I, I honestly like I just remember thinking wow what what would life look like without me having to do this every day and again I'd clearly just gotten very depressed and when I'm in a good place I love doing what I do but I, I just absolutely hated it by that point and I think that was more of a reflection on how I was feeling and how I was feeling about my life and what I was doing and you know all these things and actually funnily enough I bumped into no I went on a walk um at lunchtime to Victoria Park in East London and I bumped into this woman who um we're really good friends now uh but she basically was reading a book on a bench and these dogs just came out of nowhere because there was a dog walker and she's kind of known as like the evil dog walker of um Victoria Park like <laughs> she's known for just like leaving the dogs just to go astray and then she's just like never knows where they are and she's very rude anyway so I see this you know kind of woman reading her book and then like all these dogs coming towards her and she gets really scared and then she says to the to the dog walker hey like you shouldn't do that there are people who are scared of dogs and there's also children in the park like you know and then they had a scrap um and I was just like watching all of this like you know just feeling really depressed in the park and I was like oh, I hope is that woman okay like should I go up to her and I remember just thinking no that's that's weird like just just go back to work then I just came up to her and I was like, hey, like, are you okay? I just saw that and I just wanted to make sure you were feeling all right. And we ended up having the loveliest conversation. And she just told me like her life story. And she told me that when she was young, she just like, just kind of said, fuck, fuck it to everything. She, oh, she was healing from a breakup. And then she decided to hitchhike to St. Petersburg. Like, oh, yeah. and I was like, whoa that's so cool and she was like yep I left everything behind and I went to St Petersburg and I made the best of friends and I also met like the love of my life on this trip and just like I was like that's so brave and I just remember thinking I need to be brave I need to quit like I just mm. need to quit my job 
I know it's stable income. I, I, I love having, you know, that disposable income to like enjoy my life. And again, this was pre-pandemic. So I actually had a life back then. And, and then I just thought, no, I, I need to quit. I need to quit. And I remember I handed in my notice and five minutes after, I kid you not, five minutes after there was um, an email from this production company called Broccoli Content. And the, and the email said, hey, we've, um, just wondering would you potentially be interested in hosting a podcast we, we want to do you and um and this person was like I followed you on Twitter for a while and just think you're you're quite funny and I thought is this a scam <laughs> like, <laughs> why are they contacting me I didn't have any audio experience like I'm a I'm I write copy like for a living but I don't I I don't know about talking um you know I, I I just got really nervous but I thought okay well let me let me say yes mm -hmm. I guess um and literally before I went there I, I was like is someone just gonna like I don't know like mug me at like fucking <laughs> gunpoint like well, where am I going they gave me the address of Sony HQ so I was like okay like surely like nothing weird is gonna happen outside of Sony HQ anyway so um I went there and had an amazing chat with Renee who's the CEO of Broccoli Content and then she essentially explained what she wanted to do and I was like wow that sounds amazing and she was like cool and apparently I was like one of the um, three people that actually showed up on time and seemed enthusiastic. So um, they were like, yeah, let's just, let's try a pilot kind of thing. And I thought, okay. And so essentially um, I was like, wow, I didn't even think of going into audio, but this could be a stable income mm -hmm. while I also do other writing stuff. Cause I wanted to, you know, kind of build up my freelance journalism portfolio and I wanted to write for a few places. And so it, it, it was amazing because I was just like essentially out of one job into another part-time role, which really did not require anywhere near um, as much of me, you know, in comparison to my last job, I was just working just flat out for so many hours a day. Whereas this was like, it allowed, obviously I worked hard, but I wasn't working long hours. I was just able to think about things and able to do it in a relaxed way. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. So pre-pandemic, um, that was kind of how it was going. So I was doing a podcast a week and then I was doing a few days where I would write, pitch, you know, and I, I really didn't have any again like I felt really not confident I, I was really scared I didn't know how to pitch to people I'd never I'd never written a pitch before in my life and um I knew a few people kind of from my days at the tab who'd gone on to like other places so I thought oh I could ask them how to pitch to, the, to their publications but it, there really weren't that many people so I did feel like I was starting from scratch um so yeah I think for me the most difficult part was like selling my idea or like um, or just really honing in on the idea and like finding the story and the many ideas that I had because like once I'd agreed on something with an editor then they'd see that I actually was able to produce like a quite a good copy so I think once I'd established those relationships it became way easier um, but yeah sorry that was like a really long-winded explanation into a very simple question which was about you know tell me about your kind of freelancing no that's um, perfect yeah <laughs> um yeah you've written for so many different places as well so you've obviously had you know a, a high success rate with your pitches um what kind of advice would you give to people when they're looking to start pitching 
Yeah, um, I think what I learned pretty quickly is that, again, and I had to get out of my mindset of working in a place that wanted to get lots of content and do it in a funny way and do it in a really good way. But a lot of it was also like repeating what other places have done. Um, So I had to get my head out of that kind of mindset because I was just pitching really reactively. And I was like, this person said this and this is racism or like this person said this and then I think this about this and I obviously everyone will pitch things like that and I'm not saying you shouldn't because sometimes you do really have a good argument but I think I understood that actually for me to find it sustainable it had to be less about being reactive but more about seeing the wider story seeing the wider angle seeing the angle that not others that many others haven't seen. So, you know, if I want to write about a specific topic, let me just do a quick Google search. Has has anyone written about it before? Oh, okay, they have. Well, how can I update it? Or how can I add my own angle to it? Or how can I make it more relevant to now? So I started thinking like an editor and I thought, okay, well, if I was an editor, what kind of story would I commission? Um, so yeah, that was like a really useful kind of way to look at it. But I, I mean, I was very you know, I had my spreadsheet. Yeah, I, I was very kind of systematic about it. I wasn't going to leave anything to chance. I sat, I read the news in the morning. I thought, okay, what can I, a freelancer who's not a staff, uh, who's not working as staff, what can I add to a conversation um, mm-hmm. that someone can't just write in house? And I think that was actually an amazing tip that my friend Tahmina said to me, um, gave me. She was like, you need to think why would an editor pit um why would an editor commission you something over someone in house who can mm-hmm. write it for free in like a few hours and mm-hmm. so that's when i started thinking kind of like more yeah like I, I think just just a little bit um thinking about it in a different way and thinking what what kind of expertise can i give that's different to someone in house or what sources can i use and i think when you start thinking like that and you're clearly thinking about what the end piece is going to look like when you're thinking about the story you're thinking about all these um things that seem like should you really be thinking that far ahead when you're just pitching an idea but I think you should because if you don't know what the story is going to look like it's very hard to convince an editor to commission you something but it's it's only when I was able to really go in depth before you know when I was even just approaching people obviously that gives someone else the the security and knowledge that clearly I know what I'm talking about and so I kind of went from writing quite generic pitches to more detailed pitches and yes it took me a longer time but my success rate was just way higher when I actually put a lot of work into the pitches and of course it is frustrating when you really believe in a story you've done the research you've even got sources secured and you go to an editor and you get rejections and you get aired and all these things but you know when it didn't work out it felt painful but when it did it felt amazing and I think you know with you know with a few wins there's going to be so many more losses behind that and I think we don't see that at all and like we don't see even our favorite writers are just getting rejected all the time and I think freelancing was just the biggest learning curve for me because I just had to like grapple with all these feelings of rejection how they made me feel and why they felt so intense um and I really worked through that in therapy and you know I'd come in every week and just be like I don't understand why this person who 
I don't think is that good of a writer is getting all these commissions and I'm not. And I was like really honest about my jealousy and like, you know, it's a really horrible thing to deal with. But I was just like, I don't understand. I know I'm good. I don't think that person's good. And then my therapist was like, but why do you care about the other person? Like, this is clearly something to do with rejection and how it's making you feel. So not to sound too woo-woo, but honestly, genuinely, like this this entire experience has just taught me so much about myself and and how I deal with rejection and all the painful feelings it brought up. But so I guess um, to address what you actually asked me, which is what tip would I give, you know, to people starting out, um, just you've got to learn how to deal with rejection because once you master that you genuinely can do anything and I think also yeah just be practical with your approach like as I said earlier I I had um spreadsheets and if if one place said no I'd be like cool where else can I pitch it so I kind of I'd write an idea and then I'd write potential places to pitch and then I'd essentially just be crossing them off until Mm -hmm. one place said yes um and yeah you'll be amazed how you know if if the guardian doesn't want something you know another publication like vice might um so it's just it's just going for it and i think so many people are stilted by their own fear that they actually don't get very far because of that but like imagine if you just take the fear aspects out of it treat it as a job and just treat it as another thing to do on your to-do list it just becomes so much easier Mm -hmm. absolutely how long would you say that you leave it before you follow up with an editor or try somewhere else yeah I think it depends like on how timely the piece is sometimes you know you do do something reactive and then um I chase things up like <laughs> literally like a few hours after I'd pitch because I knew that right. it was a really really hot topic but with more feature style things and I think the reason I actually shifted towards feature reporting and you'll see you know in most of my freelance things I do now is more feature writing than like opinion because I I love giving opinions but I actually also understood that I don't need to have an opinion on everything and I it, I didn't want to become like essentially a rent gob you know where I was just saying things just to get paid so I think the reason I started doing features and pitching features is because I knew that a feature is there's less time uh, pressure and there's less stress and anxiety around that so I could pitch something leave it for five days and just follow it up and and follow it up again and then follow it up again. And like, honestly, you can never follow up too many times until, you know, an editor just rejects you or mm-hmm. maybe after like the seventh time you shouldn't. <laughs> that's, that's like my friend, yeah, my friend, again, Tahmina, who really helped me when I first started freelancing. And that's another thing. Like, if you have any friends who do freelance, ask them for tips because they have a wealth of knowledge. And she just said to me, you know, before the seventh chase up like it's not harassment it's all good (laughs) so I think I always remember her when I'm like oh no why hasn't this person replied well it's because like you know they just probably have a huge inbox that they're struggling to check like I currently have a huge inbox that I'm struggling to check so I don't even imagine what editors you know in big publications um have to deal with Mm -hmm. yeah that's interesting to hear because I feel like everyone has a different take on how how many times you can check back in like some people say just the once and some people say twice and then you know it's it's kind of like it varies so much and um something else as well when when I studied journalism like we really didn't get told 
we didn't get taught how to pitch you know like it wasn't something and so I didn't know that like you know you shouldn't pitch multiple places at once or just all that kind of thing um are there any kind of what kind of structure would you use in the in the email when you pitch yeah um by the way this it's interesting about the not being not pitching multiple places at once obviously the problem arises if you do pitch a few places and then both editors or like three editors come back to you and being like hey would really love to run mm-hmm. this piece it is really awkward being like oh I'm so sorry I've actually also pitched somewhere else so it just seems like it's not the greatest etiquette however yeah however I do think you know what it's hard out here it's hard getting things placed and you know people are more desperate than ever like they're they're really on no staff jobs um not that I see many anyway and people are freelancing to make a living and fundamentally like if if you have a hot story that day you might want to pitch four or five editors mm-hmm. and just say hey just to let you know I've also sent this pitch to a few other places because I know right. it's, it's yeah. you know, time sensitive and I and I've had people send me emails like that and that I never take that personally as an editor so like uh, I just think if you can be transparent about that that's good I think you know most people understand that this is just the way you make a living so um and it's also happened to me the other way around when an editor contacted me about writing something I'd, mm-hmm. I'd seen it maybe an hour later the email and then I'd said hey like I'd love to do this and they're like oh I'm so sorry I actually just commissioned it to another writer so if they can yeah. do that you can do that too <laughs> yeah. that's interesting <laughs> to hear because I I had asked uh, a freelance journalist before like what they thought and they were like oh no you know if I was an editor I wouldn't think that was good form or whatever but I guess it's kind of like the wild west <laughs> now where it's kind of everyone makes their exactly. own rules really um exactly. when I was a student I remember I pitched something and it was like the first time I'd pitched and I pitched 10 different places and one of them said yes and thinking back on that now I'm like if I had went through it one by one I might have not written that because I might have not gotten to the 10th person you know what I mean so yeah, yeah it's interesting to hear different takes on it um Definitely. Well, I'll I'll just tell you about what I write in an email. Yeah. Sorry, I I actually just diverted your question. No, no, no. Um, but I so when I write emails, increasingly. So just um to also explain because I'm now I freelance on top of my regular job now, which I work at Galdem as an um, first person editor there. So I I deal mostly with like personal essays and also sometimes opinion pieces. Um, And so I actually was not planning to go back to um, a full-time role, like a staff role, because I just thought I really was enjoying freelance. And I thought there is no job that's gonna make me Mm -hmm. lifestyle. But actually the perfect job did come along and I was like, ah, okay, bye. (laughs) But I think, um, you know, throughout my journey, I actually ended up pitching. I spend less time on pitches because A, I get more commissions now, which is unbelievable. I did not think people would just email me and be like, hey, we think you'd be good to write this. Like, how amazing. I'm really proud of myself to honestly getting that far within a year, which is, yeah, like, that like I didn't think that would happen when I first Mm -hmm. started freelancing but um yeah I spend I spend way less time pitching now only because I have you know a full-time role and and I can also (laughs) just go to my my own editor and say hey I really want to write about this and so it's kind of taken off that pressure a bit so I've actually 
become a little bit um I'm losing you know that practice a little bit because I'm just not doing it as often however when I do pitch I just make sure it's really detailed it's thorough it's concise I'm not you know it I'm I'm not being boring because I think also when you as an editor when you're reading a pitch and if it's boring you're like well I don't know if this person can write in a, in a fun way mm. so you know I just I just make it like quite colloquial and um, I'll just let them know like I'll be like hi x um, I'd love to write this story about um, this trend I've seen on TikTok and I think this speaks about a wider thing that's happening right now in regards to the xyz would this be an interest to your publication and then I'll give like the context a little bit more of what I want to write who I'll speak to um the the experts that I might you know speak to as well and how I'd structure it um I'd say you know I'd start off with this but then I'd love to like delve into this and I'd probably conclude with this um yeah let me know what you think um would, would be great to hear from you and that's literally it like I think it's pretty simple mm-hmm. um so, but I, I because again because I'm an editor right I sometimes I do get pictures that are very simplistic and then I have to ask more questions so if I can save the editor that job of like asking me more questions about the pitch then you know I'll do that and I think that's just been pretty that's worked pretty well but I think honestly like we all speak about oh what's your pitching template and how should you do this blah 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 I think if your idea is good and if you have something there an editor will spot that from a mile away mm-hmm. um, and also in my pitches when I pitch to editors I've never worked before so cold pitches I will always include a little bit about myself so I say hey like you know I've been doing this for like x years and I've been publishing these places and here's my portfolio if you'd like to look or or if I'm writing about you know a, a, a specific topic so like digital culture then I'll say oh and I've written about digital culture before here is a piece on xyz mm-hmm. so um yeah I, I actually made a template for myself which I shared because I have like a little newsletter for freelance journalists mm-hmm. and um I just I wrote that template which I use myself and um I literally send it to anyone who ever asked me about pitching and it's so funny because I now see the template it's come back to me <laughs> <laughs> like people will, will use the template when they're pitching me and I love it because it's that's like, so yeah, that's really you're funny te- yeah. you're telling me everything I want to know and that's great mm-hmm. that's amazing yeah um so you obviously you're an editor at Galdem you're the opinion and personal essay editor um you must get quite a lot of pitches yourself um what what do you look for when someone's pitching you yeah, I do get a lot of pictures. And it's also really hard because we're a small company and oh my God, I wish I could commission every single person who mm-hmm. pitches me. But I have a budget, so I can't. And also because I, you know, I can't um work on so many pieces um at the same time. But the ones that really stand out to me are just the ones you can tell the person has thought about it. You can tell the person knows what they're writing about or they want to write about. And also ones that have colour and voice and make me smile. So um, I just put out a call um, on Twitter saying, hey, I'd really love to hear your voices. Um, I'd really love to hear your pictures on Indomie, which is like a, a brand of noodle. Um, and basically the founder of the, the, 
the brand has had died uh, a week ago and so we wanted to do like a piece you know about about the noodle and I've had like nine or ten pictures and they were all so good and I'm just here like oh how am I going to choose the, the pitch and but also I can tell that some of these writers like I can tell they're really good already just by the way they've pitched me and um and I guess yeah it's something I need to figure out but I was talking to my other colleague and I was like please help me choose I don't know how, how to to narrow this down and I think I'm gonna go with the one that actually just made me laugh mm-hmm. you know I was reading this pitch and it just made me laugh and it made me think oh that's really nice so <laughs> you know if it's evoked an emotion out of me then yeah maybe give that person a go and also all the other people I will just let them know and say hey like I'm so sorry this was a really tough call had amazing pictures about this but I really would love it Mm -hmm. if you'd write for us and you know do you have any other ideas so there's always ways around that but I hate rejecting people especially when the quality and the standard is so high um but yeah I think just as an editor you're looking out for um you're looking out for signs that the person knows what they're talking about they're passionate about it and you know they kind of are convincing me that they're the person to speak on this particular issue yeah absolutely um how many pitches would you say you get each week oh my god um so we have a pitch box so that's where we ask most people to come and direct their pitches to because it it, emails is just too hard Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean I remember when I on my first week of starting there I had like like 225 emails to get through like after a few days of me being like I'm looking for pictures yeah that was really hard um and took me ages to get through that um I think on average now I probably get like 10 or 20 a week Mm -hmm. um through the inbox through the through the pitch uh box but also my own inbox um and yeah it's, it's pretty pretty tricky like narrowing them down and I also can't reply to everyone I literally mm-hmm. wish I had those hours to get back to people explain exactly why I rejected their their idea or their pitch um but yeah it, it's it's just so weird I, I do sometimes feel a, a bit uncomfortable about like the dynamics of that because you know essentially you're the gatekeeper of who gets mm-hmm. to write something um and yeah so I I constantly have to just like um just make sure that like, yes, I, of course, I'm going to be pitching the, uh, picking the pitches that are most interesting to me, or I think the writer is good and things like that. But I, you also want to give, you know, uh, a chance for people who haven't written that much before. And that's yeah. definitely something Galdem strives to do that, you know, we want to publish people who haven't been published and we want to help them get their confidence. And so um, it's always tricky finding that balance because, you know, sometimes you do just have to spike a piece because it's not going anywhere. So um, I like to also take on that slight pastoral role as well, you know, when I'm editing, because I know how much it hurts to like open a Google Doc and see, 50 edit notes and think oh my god I am literally the worst writer in the world why have I even done this to myself but you know sometimes you have to get on the phone to a writer and be like this is actually really good I'm just a a really meticulous editor so please don't get scared and I also want you to see the changes because I don't want you to think that the copy isn't yours at the end of it because that's happened to me before when Mm -hmm. I've you know written something and then it gets published and it's like I didn't write this <laughs> so you know and it can really dent your confidence so I, I kind of want to take the writers on that journey with me and just 
have them see oversee what I'm doing because I don't want to change anything if, without their consent mm-hmm. yeah absolutely um and just to kind of finish things off can you just give like any general advice you can think of for those wanting to start a career in journalism I say this all the time and I'll say it again people don't read enough like it and it's really obvious when people do read and when people don't read Um, and I I don't mean it in a way that's like oh you need to know you know so and so and you need to be able to like drop references and in your writing and you need to like make it obscure that's not at all what I mean I just think people who read regularly um, will have a better understanding of how something is structured you know they'll have just a wider range of vocabulary and and when I started I wasn't reading much like when I started writing you know writing and when I did student journalism I wasn't reading anything I wasn't reading like books or my um kind of uni reading you know reading I was meant to do at uni <laughs> so um having actually developed kind of a passion for reading I just feel like it's completely changed the way I not just write, but like critically analyze things and makes me, it makes me, reading makes me just want to take a step back and look at something through lots of different lenses and think about different factors. And, you know, it allows you to not have that quite like narrow minded, I guess, view of things when you're able to read people you disagree with or things you don't know about, like it just opens up the way you think. And I think we need to give ourselves that space. And I think especially right now, we live in an age where we're constantly passively consuming. So we're consuming things through social media, whether that be your TikTok feed or Twitter or you know, messages just like on your phone, you're constantly consuming things, but are they actually, you know, are they widening your kind of like horizons? Are they making you think broadly about things are they challenging you and I think a lot of the time we we end up in echo chambers with people who just reaffirm our beliefs and we're not really like challenged um, about how we look at the world and I think that's really dangerous and I think when people if people do read they should read things not the one not just things that they enjoy but also things that might make them feel uncomfortable you know sometimes I do go on the spectator I, I absolutely loathe that publication because of the people that they platform but I also sometimes look at what they're writing because I I, I need to understand what's going on in the world that mm-hmm. like I don't really occupy um and I think of course that that takes a lot of kind of um like you need to have mental health like your mental health needs to be in check like you need to have capacity in order to do that I don't I don't read the daily mail in the sun but you know, sometimes I'll I'll go over kind of like to the other side and just see what's what's going on there but yeah I think reading just reading for joy reading for for work reading in in areas that you want to become an expert on that was journalist Deora Shadjanova you can find her on Twitter and Instagram at the Deora I'll be back with another episode in two weeks. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your podcast app of choice and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to support the podcast, you can give a small donation on coffee at ko-fi.com slash she's creative pod. You can find the podcast on social media at she's creative pod and I'm on social media at underscore Claire Hutch. See you next time.